Love and Law showcases amazing lawyers globally who are bringing their own style of love into legal practice. Where there is love, there cannot be fear. Welcome to our show. And welcome back to Love and Law. My name is Virginia Warren. I am a lawyer and a conflict alchemist and co-founder of the organisation called Lawyers for Love. At Lawyers for Love, we see that the legal system in its present form uses fear-based techniques to solve problems. It says, the law says, love thy neighbour, else we'll punish you. It acts as if you still need a parent. Lawyers for Love say to solve a problem, you need a higher level of consciousness than that which was used to create the conflict. That consciousness is based in love. Love says, love thy neighbour. And if you can't, we will show you how. So that way we can begin to self-regulate. This is what we call love as of the essence or Leo tech for short. In these live broadcasts, we are showcasing amazing lawyers globally, bringing their own style of love into legal practice, into a practical, in practical terms. Today, it's my great pleasure to speak with a very inspiring Ian Smith. Ian believes in the saying that the hardest thing to do is to be kind to those who appear unkind. He says that when you scratch the surface and dive below the anger and addiction, you will inevitably discover someone's pain. Whilst Ian says his job is stressful and upsetting and exhausting, it's also more rewarding, being less about the law now and more about relationship. Knowing the biological science of trauma has made him more compassionate, empathetic and determined to raise awareness of the impact of trauma. Ian graduated in 1993 and trained at Skeen, Edwards and Garson WS. Robert Louis Stevenson also trained there. In 1998, he created his own firm with Jim Keegan QC, 20 years his senior. Ian specialises now in crime, previously having practice in litigation, including contracts, divorces and children's cases. The shift for Ian came when he watched the film Resilience by the late and great Jamie Redford, shadowed Nadine Burke-Harris and explained the horrific effects adverse childhood experiences can have on the developing brain. This made Ian realise that the people he thought he helped were actually suffering from pain that he didn't notice at the time. Ian says we cannot punish people out of their addiction, but we can love them and help signpost them to recovery. And this is what Lawyers for Love are saying. The law says love thy neighbour else will punish you, whereas love says love thy neighbour and if you can't, we'll show you how. It's a completely different way of looking at things. So welcome to the broadcast, Ian. It's so wonderful to have you here directly from Scotland. And yesterday you're at 9.30 in the night and I believe you've just gotten off a big panel about trauma and everything else. Yeah. Before we get into all that, I'd really like to sort of ask you, how did you get into law? This is what I ask all these lawyers that we, we interview, is what motivated you at the in the first place to become a lawyer? Okay, so um, my dad was a police officer. Um, so he was... I guess he pushed me towards uh, going into law, which isn't, I appreciate is a brilliant answer, but um, so I was pushed in, um, not really knowing what I wanted to do. Um, years later, about eight years ago, I found out I was dyslexic. So I always struggled at school, um, thought it was a bit thick, didn't like reading, messy handwriting, poor speller. So looking back, uh, without knowing that, um, and I think had I known it and if I'd known how much I struggled, I wouldn't have done law because, as you know, it's a huge amount of work and reading. 
Oh. Um, and so I was in the library till 10 o'clock every night, probably saved my liver because my friends would leave at six saying they'd read the books. I didn't believe them. Um, so, yeah, so, so the, the, the motivation was really um, my, my dad sort of pushing me there. Um, I, I was good at solving logical puzzles, uh, maths, and it was a, the thought of sort of problem solving that was good. So when I was about 15, he introduced me to a very well-known lawyer called Jim Keegan. QC, who in 1998 became a business partner, but when I was 15 was this big time lawyer with a Porsche, and I went in to see him and he says, oh, your, 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 dad, your dad tells me that you want to be a lawyer, I said, yeah, that's right, I want to be a lawyer just like you, a criminal lawyer, and he went, no, no, well, what you'll do is a law degree, then you'll become an accountant and you'll make lots of money, and uh, he gave me a, basically kicked me out of his office because I said, well, I'm not going to do that, thanks for the advice, but I'm going to do what you do, and then bizarrely, no, I was only two years qualified, and I became his business partner. So there you go. So I'm glad. In some ways, I think he, he was glad he, that he was wrong, and I'm I'm glad that I didn't take his advice. So there you are. Uh, isn't it amazing? I think the path we know in is just what we need to do, and we have no idea sometimes why we need to do that. So yeah. that's absolutely fantastic. I love it. I love it. I love it. I've been watching a few of your um, videos and things in your presentations. They're amazing, um, particularly bringing some lightness into the, the idea of trauma because I think really this life is supposed to be fun. It's a bit too serious, but we need to also, you know, look at that compassionate side. And, yeah, your, your um, interviews and things have been really fun. So I, I was so excited to talk to you and the way you're approaching this because you, you say to us that, yeah, you watched this film. Was that the that pivotal moment when you thought, yeah. hang on a minute, you know, I'm doing this law thing, I'm going along and then, but there's more to this. Yeah, tell me yeah. about that. What so impact was, was that was on you? So, so I've been a lawyer now, um, well, I started out training 1993, as you say, and uh, Robert, rather like Robert Louis Stevenson, I realised that posh firms were not going to be for me. I was maybe more spit and sawdust. Um, but in 2000, 2018, I watched this film called Resilience and it was really about Ander and Felitti's study from 1995 about the effects of adverse childhood experiences and the impact that childhood trauma had. And I, I literally, it was a light bulb moment just to think, oh my goodness, for you know, 25 years, I've not realized that my clients don't choose to take drugs. Now people will say, well, they do, you've got a choice whether you take them or not. But when you're, when you're self-soothing pain, you're doing that from a place of hurt. And and I didn't realise that before. I always just thought it was a it was a choice. And that people that got angry and assaulted people, that in some ways I could understand it lost their temper, but these are people who often can't self-regulate at all. And again, it's not to do with excusing their behaviour. The, the, the issue of trauma is an explanation about why people behave in a certain way. And I'd never in mitigation or an understanding understood what my clients had ha what happened to them. I always just looked at them thinking they were they were bad or, they were, you know, they were junkies or, you know, I wouldn't probably use those terms, but that's how I would view them. I'd view them as less than me and I don't do that now. Um, I always thought, I always wanted to do the job because I wanted to help people, but I realised I hadn't helped them because I didn't understand them. So it was a, it was a real epiphany and, and, and that, that more or less overnight changed me. Um, people that take drugs, so Gabor Mati, the, sort of the, the great specialist on trauma, um, the Canadian, Hungarian Canadian, um, he talks about people that all um, addiction stems from trauma. So it, um, it doesn't need to be drugs and alcohol, it can be whatever happens, but it's self-soothing. So addiction is to do with self-soothing. 
And I used to, again, think that drugs were about pleasure, were about um, making you happy, but actually it's about making people feel less sad. And although that's yeah. quite a subtle difference, it's a big difference because the, what judges don't understand is all they can see is the bad that comes from it, the housebreakings, the thefts, the, the crappy lives that people are living. And, and what we do is we don't want to repair or rehabilitate them in, in Scotland and in Britain generally. We want to squash them down. We want to be punitive and, and, and focus on retribution. And, that, and that's, not, that's not going to improve their lives. It's not going to improve victims' lives. It's not going to improve communities' lives. So that's why yeah, that, yeah, it's that's critical. It. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, look, I, I, we absolutely agree with that. And that's exactly what we're saying is people do think, people are motivated to do things because they think they'll feel better in the doing of it. And often that's an unconscious choice. Yes. So they don't even know they're making the choice and they move yeah. to whatever makes them feel better. And that's why we say the law of itself, guidelines are awesome, but the law itself is not helpful because if you say, yeah, don't kill someone, well, duh, you know, don't kill someone. But people kill people. Why? because they feel better when they do that. That's the underlying reason. So we've got to get to why are you feeling better for doing that? It's just, it's a really simple question to dive into the human behind that. And it, it is, as you say, uh, I, I believe, or we believe here at Lawyers for Love that love drives everything. We are all looking for love. And somewhere in life, we got disconnected from that. And that is usually early childhood trauma. Yeah, so we absolutely agree with that. And, yeah, and so what started happening when you were bringing that into, when you shifted your way of thinking, how did you change your approach from a practical point of view? Yeah, so, so the first thing that has to be done generally, I think, not just with me but with everyone, but what I did was I changed. So I changed how I spoke to people. I changed how I listened and heard my clients. So... We're all very busy as lawyers. That sometimes it's very difficult to say, you know, I don't ever say to them, tell me about your trauma or tell me it's about building relationships. So it's all based on relationships. But by changing how you are, almost inevitably, it was, it was like it was like magic. And I appreciate it's not magic. It's just basic psychology. It is if you treat people in a different way, you treat them well, you treat them as equals, you listen hard, um, you're empathetic, you're compassionate, then it's amazing what you get back. And this is what I'm trying to explain to judges because them shouting it and trying to punish people out of a trauma and addiction, it doesn't work. But if they're understanding, if they're empathetic, if they persevere, if they give people hope, then the massive difference that that brings is, it is like small miracles. So when I now see and encourage my clients, and it's you know, obviously as a criminal defence lawyer, I feed off and make money from misery but I no longer practice in the same way, e even if it means helping a 16-year-old boy who's on a pathway for destruction and I can make 20, 30,000 pounds from him, I will signpost them for help. I don't, I am not capable of repairing the harm that's been caused to them in their youth, but I am capable and being compassionate enough to signpost them to where they can get help, to give them a bit of hope, to persevere with them when they fall down, to pass them, for example, our local college, now allows pathways from the criminal justice system into college without it being a formal education, without needing to pass tests, and that they're giving them self-worth. And I'm asking the judges to do the same. And sometimes they look at me quizzically thinking, I've lost, I've lost the plot. I mean, my, my career for 25 years was all about destroying people in the witness box 
Um, now my most, I mean, I've never lost a jury trial, for example. That's a very good thing to have as a lawyer, but actually mm -hmm. is now my, is not, is no longer my biggest achievement. My biggest achievement is improving the lives of my individual clients and more national, on a national level, trying to take people with me from the sentencing council, the judiciary, policy makers, prosecutors, police officers, and my peers. So that, that's been the most satisfying part of my career because I actually can see the effect that it has on individual people, but it's also a harm reducer for victims. I, I especially heard what you said, it was a shift in yourself first. And this is what I believe is, is necessary for the system, is the lawyers and the judges and all the people associated with the legal system need to know their self first. It's, the, it's knowing self and integrating your own emotional baggage, basically, first, understanding who you are. Because what we're doing, I believe, is we're rejecting those parts of ourselves. When we see someone we don't like or their behaviour, we say that's unacceptable behaviour. Yes, the behaviour isn't preferred. We don't prefer people going and hurting each other in society. But we, we, if we start rejecting with a hatred for it, and, and, put, and I say and putting them in prisons is really saying to, I'm rejecting this part of me, I'm rejecting this part of society, and it's rejecting part of the whole and we can't do that anymore. We are we are one race. We are one. We are humans. Just to say that that is bad is to say that we have not yet integrated all of us and said we are okay. But let's. How did we create this? Because I think yeah, from the bench or even other legal practitioners I've seen, particularly in crime, are very sort of disparaging to their clients, and and. And when they can't relate to them, it's just they're simply saying, I'm rejecting you because I reject this in me. So the very important part is for that person to come back and we need to help the lawyers and the judges first, I believe. Yes. And, and yeah, if we're, if we're doing that kind of training saying, yeah, we're, we need to approach our society as a whole and to see that we are all creating what is going on here because too many people are blaming someone else. It's usually the, you know, and, and, and the trauma, as you say, yeah, yes, sometimes we need other professionals to come in, but even to recognise the idea that to blame our parents or blame anybody anymore for what's going on is, is, is ridiculous. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, so, so, so Scotland, you know, the, it's almost like the Einstein's theory of uh, madness about doing the same things over and over and, and expecting different results. So Scotland right now is the highest prison population in Western Europe. We're a very small country. Wow. We have the highest prison population in Western Europe. And we have the highest drugs-related deaths in the world. Wow. And, and, we, and we view the Scottish legal system, which is unique from England, and we pride ourselves in about how our system's very good at relies on corroboration, that um, we have the best system in the world and, and we do all these great things, but actually we're failing how we deal with people. Mm -hmm. Now, this is not about, so I, I'm not an advocate for saying that, that you can't imprison people because certain people, even no. if they're massively traumatised, they may be so dangerous that, they, they need to be removed from, from society. All that time being, yes, that's for, for, right. You know, I agree you know, with that. And that, that, that can happen. And again, these are not excuses for poor behaviour, but they are explanations. And when you understand the explanations and you get to the heart of the problem, because judges will often say to me, oh, Mr Smith, your, your client has a drug problem. Your client has an alcohol problem. Your client has an anger management problem. 
when in fact, no, actually, Judge, their problem is underneath that, and that's their trauma. And if you could see that, then we can start to repair. If we just give someone methadone, if we give them lithium, if we give them uh, anti-abuse for alcohol, that's a stick in plaster. It's not a cure. And the, so there, there's two problems for judges. The first problem about trauma is nobody likes to talk about childhood sexual abuse, about yeah. parental yes. neglect, about mm. you know about the, about the scary things that happen to cause you to be traumatized. So nobody likes talking about these things because they're hard to talk about. The second problem we have in all jurisdictions is that when we recognize the problem, the solutions are very hard as well because there's no overnight fix. There's no easy way to take someone away from that trauma. You don't just say, we know you were raped and therefore we hear you, you must be in pain. And then it ends because it doesn't, that's really the beginning. So I think the, the problem is, for example, for, for example, on addiction, when we are dealing with addiction of drugs, in other words, drugs and thefts and related matters, as a justice problem, when it's in fact a health problem. Mm. Judges, judges in drugs courts, they can be as clever as they want. They're not doctors. They're not psychologists. We've, we're in the wrong forum for dealing with the problem, and the problem is the trauma. And that, yeah, that's, and that's you know, the addiction idea is, I think, most of humanity. I think we all have addiction to some some degree. Some of us are addicted to thought, it's, and they they play out in different ways. This is a thing. It's not as if one thing is worse or better than another. No, it's not. It's yeah, not preferred behaviour. Absolutely. But it is still, you're, you're just lucky that you only have this kind of an addiction that doesn't result in that sort of behaviour. That's mm -hmm. basically it because we are all in the same boat and I think we need to sort of look at look at ourselves that way and become, you know, that is, I, I love what you said about, yeah, it's less about the law now and more about relationship because what I say is law governs relationship fundamental we have been trained as lawyers to step away from the relationship component and the emotion component and you don't have a human without the emotion <laughs> so i don't know how how law continues to function on that basis without the idea of you are dealing with real humans in this in every aspect of law yeah so so I'm, i've now uh, along with a couple of other colleagues we've created a, a trauma aware law law group in scotland and we've been trying to target those in power, policymakers, uh, members of parliament, um, the justice minister, um, you know, the, the judges themselves and the, the people that train the judges in sentencing council. So that's who we're targeting and taking a, a top-down approach. But we're thinking, well, we're not getting right. very far. But what we've done, the clever part, I think, of what we've done is we've gone, Do you know what? This probably isn't going to work because they're not really listening. They're focused and trained in retribution and they don't really know about repair. What we're going to do, we're going to create the next generation of judges. So we've we've targeted all 10 law schools in Scotland and we've talked to all uh, law students in Scotland. And we're going to do it every single year to explain to them what is viewed as a soft subject of talking about empathy, compassion, trauma. And they, they, they think, oh, well, how you talk to clients, how you speak to clients, what you understand about clients, and it's seen as a soft subject. And yet it's the hardest subject to employ as a very good lawyer. Knowing about the stuff has made me a much better lawyer. And, and the targeting of the students, there's been a great response from them because nobody taught me that. It was, as I say, it was, it was people who were not lawyers that said, 
can't believe you, you, you don't, you're a criminal lawyer. You don't know why your clients take drugs. I was like, no, I didn't know that. And so these kids are getting it now. It's, we're only talking an hour, an hour and a half, but, but they've got the seed planted. And loads of them have come back and said, can I find out more? Can you tell me about books? Can you, you know, what should I do? So uh, that's been the biggest impact, I think, that we've had. And rather strangely, um, very, very recently, the Sentencing Council of Scotland have amended their guidelines on young people. So they're now rec so normally in Scotland, a young person is recognised in terms of the justice system up to the age of 21. So that if you go to, if you get the jail under 21, you go to a Young Offenders Institute. The judges are now, as part of the Sentencing Council, are going to view young persons, not children, but young persons in the system up to the age of 25. The reason that they do that is because the brain is still malleable up to the age of 25. So I think in their heads are thinking, well, we can offer some help rather than punishment. So that's a positive thing. And within, wow. the, same and within the same guidelines, they've also recognised, they brought out effectively tentatively uh, areas which were helpful. So judges must consider, for example, someone being care experienced. Now we can come back to that because it might be maybe a similar issues in Australia. I can expand on that. So care experience of so children that are in care homes, um, mental health issues, addiction issues. And I, I then lobbied them and said, well, you're, you're talking about these things. What you're actually talking about is childhood trauma. Call it trauma. Yeah. Call the circumstances that occur childhood adversity, which creates trauma. And then, and then judges will then understand. Now, they've actually redrafted the, the, the guidelines. and They've not brought them out yet because our red top papers are describing that as being soft on crime. Yeah, yeah, whereas, that's crazy. It's crazy. Whereas, whereas I would describe it and others uh, much more clever than I am about this, call it smart justice. Doing yeah. something for the long-term benefit of the community and that individual to reduce their individual offending and improve the community. And, uh, and that's the smart part. It's not hard or soft. That's the wrong narrative for a justice system. The narrative has to be what's the smartest thing to do Economically, it's the smartest thing to do. Morally, it's the smartest thing to do, um, and, and it benefits everyone. Um, but it's, but it's like just you, getting like over you that said, Yeah, like you said, it's the hardest thing to do. The it's hardest thing to do is to be kind to those who appear unkind. Absolutely, because that's a part of us we reject. So we it's don't want to connect with that at all. It's mm, counterintuitive. That's exactly right. You see, I, I interviewed a, a Judge Moore, Judge Carlos Moore from Mississippi, and yeah. he was with his young offenders. You know him. He's been, uh, yeah, he gives his young offenders uh, 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 the motivation to go and improve their grades when they b return before him. And then he's just got that, and it's called validation. It's it's validating a human. And Lawyers for Love, or, well, we've, we've developed a, a very simple technique, you know, which we're working on too uh, with lawyers globally is how to help your client just do that, a moment of self-validation from their conflict. And it, it's not psychology. It's just simple holding space and hearing somebody. And there's, it's very, very simple for people to bring in and just validate the other human and say, I see you and I see myself in you. And because I accept myself, I accept you. And this is really, really important. It is bringing that person into your space saying, yeah, we're all just in this together. Yeah, you're doing some stuff I really don't like right now or humanity doesn't really like it, but, but we can shift it. Let's find out, you know, what makes you feel good and how, how we can actually change that sort of approach, how you are going to see life in a little bit of a different way um, because 
actually we validate you. We see you. We hear you. You know, yeah. you're here. You're us too. You are us. Um, yeah, we're not this power. And this is, I think, where the legal system has fallen down is just the retribution, the blame. That mentality is fear-based. It's what the legal system is based upon. And this is what Lawyers for Love are saying. It's an underpinning across the globe that all our law is based in fear. Love, yeah, love thy neighbour, it says, else we will punish you into doing so. How does that work? It doesn't, it hasn't worked. So let's yeah. shift it around. Yeah, they're very simple ideas, but as you say, yeah, it's hard to be kind to those that appear unkind. It is, and just that validation idea from the American judge, I could give you a couple of examples of that if you, if you wish them. Um, yeah. I, don't know much, I don't know how much time I've got, but so yeah. a simple one was a retiring judge who's a very good judge um, and she's subsequently gone on to do other great things. But for 18 years, she watched um, a young girl going in and out of her court. She was there on the first day, she appeared in court and she was there on her last day. And this was a girl who was addicted to, to drugs, massive trauma in her life, was out stealing, breaking into houses, being disruptive in the community. And the girl was in and out of jail, in and out of jail all the time. And this judge on a, a retirement speech, so she was talking to lawyers and clerks and police officers, and it was a, a well-to-do group. And she described the story. And then on her last day, she took her wig off, she took her gown off, and she came down and she hugged the girl to show to show her that she loved her and that she cared for her. Oh. And it was a, a lovely story. Yeah. But I put my hand up and I said, Judge, can I ask you something? She said, ask me anything you want. I said, what do you think that girl's life would have looked like if you hugged her the first day rather oh, than the yeah. last day? And she was a bit shocked by that and, and it sounded insulting. It wasn't meant to be. It was hypothetical. But re And I'm not suggesting judges should hug uh, people who uh, offend in the community. But it's, it's about what you talk about, Virginia. It's about loving someone and to show them that you care. And why wait that long? Why not intervene early? Why not, yeah. before they're on a path of destruction and self-destruction and community destruction, why not intervene early and show that yeah. love? So that, that was a, a sort of, it was an example which came to me, I thought, why are we not doing this early? And that was an example of that. And another one of validation was, a, uh, we'll call this boy Brendan, but Brendan has uh, multiple issues uh, and appears from custody. He was on a court order called a, a community payback order where he was to do unpaid work in the community and a social worker was supervising him so he had to meet the social worker. But because he was addicted to heroin, because he lost his uh, home and basically his life was going spiralling down, he didn't do the order. But during the warrant being issued for his arrest, he managed to get in tow with various charities, a housing charity called the Rock Trust, um, a mentor-based charity called the Aidan Abet. He met his general practitioner. He was given prescriptive medication. And basically, it was turning his life around by the time he was arrested. And I tell the judge all of these improvements he'd made to his life and was now in a position to do the order. I also explained to her and expressed to her the horrors of his life, that he was born to a one-parent family, which is not uncommon, but his father was in jail. His mother was addicted to heroin and alcohol. So by the time he was three, he was taken into state care, into a children's home. Every time mum became sober, he went back, but he went back into chaos. And then she would fall and have difficulties and he'd go back into care. By the age of 10, he was drinking. By the age of 11, he was taking cannabis. And by the age of 13, his mother injected him for the first time with heroin. Mm. So this 19-year-old boy is in the court. And I'm explaining all of this. 
And the judge, having not heard all of these explanations before, I didn't talk about trauma, I didn't talk about ACEs or adverse childhood experiences, I just talked about his life. And she said, what is it you're asking me to do? I said, I want you to praise him. Sorry? I said, I want you to praise him. And she was shocked. Four weeks pass, she lets him out for reports. And four weeks come by, I come in with the report from the Rock Trust, Aidan Abet, his doctor, the housing officer, the social worker who talks about the improvements to his life, but importantly, about the terrible things that had happened to him. And as I got up to do battle with this judge, she asked me to sit down and not to speak. And for 10 minutes, she, she praised him. Oh, and wow. In that moment, it was a wow moment for me. Oh. We went out and he said, you know what, Ian, nobody has ever spoken to me like that ever in my life. Nobody in authority. Oh. And it was an emotional oh. moment. It felt like a breakthrough. And my one regret was not going back to say to the judge, I know you found it hard to listen to what I was saying the first time. And I know you did what you did um, because you wanted to and you recognised his pain. Um, but what, also, what I really wanted to say to her was, you validated him. You have, you've shown him that you care. And that, that feeling that he got is someone bothered, a judge bothered about me. Yeah. I, I know it won't work for everyone. I know, I know it's counterintuitive and I know it's hard and, and it sounds soft, but actually we need to get people to turn corners and, and, and put them in jail. It doesn't turn a corner. It just confirms their worthlessness, their hopelessness. Again, I believe soft is when it's the hardest thing to do to be kind. How hard is that? It's not soft. It's very difficult. And very as soon hard. as people can, people can, uh, yeah, hide their emotion. With, yeah, with their own anger and their own retribution. Exactly. That's easy. That's actually the easy way. The hard yeah. way is to have compassion, and compassion is the only answer here. And yeah, validation because all of us, every human on this planet, is needs some self-validation we're all suffering from it we're all even as lawyers we feel like half of us feel like imposters you know why why am i here why am i doing this everyone's smarter than me blah 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 we've all got our our special journey um and the, those in the criminal system including lawyers um from the other side of the desk are it's all about self-validation we're here looking for love and to be validated and to be cared for and to be heard and to to belong to the to the group and when you're rejected that's not that's not helpful and that is the hardest thing and this is why the word soft to me is needs to be reframed we need to reframe that too as you say the hardest thing to do so yeah, yeah so toughen up people not, yeah. <laughs> and actually be compassionate yeah it's, it's crazy I, I yeah i think that's amazing i absolutely love what you do it's such a movement happening globally now with um, people realising it. And I think the old way is starting to become a little bit crusty. It really, it's becoming a little bit crusty. You're just like, who, why are you still wielding a stick to people? We don't quite know why that is. Has it worked for you in the past? What's going on with you? How do you feel? Even within our own profession, we have people breaking the rules because Lawyers for Love say that rules aren't as effective as what we're, we're making out. In fact, the rule of law, we say, creates the conflicts um, in, in a certain way because it's what we have is we all have an internal legal system or program and that's been projected onto the unconscious and that's the rule of law. It's out there, it's controlling us. There is no certain outcomes when we come before a judge and ask for what we're asking for, a decision. They're just people, too, making decisions from their own seat. 
And as you say, if they can see things with a bit more compassion and see the human behind it, that would start to connect and start to shift the way this is working. It's it's by no means easy. That's absolutely the message here today. This is not easy. But, you know, there's people like you out there and I'm so happy to talk to you today. Um, I'm just sharing these messages, saying to other lawyers around the globe, there are lawyers doing it. We are shifting things and people want this. People really want this. The community wants this. Yeah. You I were think, just I talking think, to sir, a panel a moment ago, I think. Yeah, so I, I, uh, I spoke to 54 uh, newly qualified teachers um, and you think, well, why is a lawyer talking to teachers? Um, number one, I was asked to do it, but secondly, they want to know what's, what's the impact been of knowledge about trauma been on my career and what is it I do and why do I do it and what's different about it? And I'll tell them stories about showing uh, Jamie Redford's uh, film Resilience Group. We have the licence for it in my uh, small region and we go around schools and we show the teachers this and we do talks. And sometimes the teachers will say to me, I can tell you now who your clients will be in the future from my class. And I have to say to them, look, I can tell you now that you are the person, the buffer, who could stop that. So please don't tell me you know who my clients are going to be because you could intervene. And early intervention for me, education is a hugely powerful tool. Preventative measures harm reduction, these are the things, the clever things we've got to do, teaching very young children in early years uh, about empathy, about equality, um, stopping misogyny, all, all of these things. You know, how, how can you possibly teach a, a five-year-old child these things? But very gently you can. Um, I'm yeah, very good can. friends. Yeah, before I started doing the trauma stuff, I met a lady called Leslie Udwin, and she's a BAFTA-winning film director, produced a film called India's Daughter, which was about the rape of a doctor by six men on a bus, and I think it was in 2013, oh, and she did this documentary. So it's a, it's a wonderful documentary. Yeah, but I met her, and she, along with Meryl Streep, created a charity called Think Equal, and it was all about early years, education for children and social-emotional learning. And those are, those are the bits I'm interested in. It's nothing to do with being a lawyer, but actually this is where the harm reduction happens. This is yeah. That's where the clever stuff happens. By the time yeah. they're meeting you and I, Virginia, it's not too late, but yeah. the, the, the harm that they had suffered when they're young is then perpetuated and continues into their adulthood. I had, I had a case on Friday. It was a 58-year-old man who committed quite a serious offence and I'm telling the judge all about the terrible things that happened to him when he was growing up. And he said, I'd buy that if he was young, Mr. Smith, but actually he's now 58, he's almost 60. What's childhood trauma got to do with that? And I'm scratching my head going, why, why do you think he's taking drugs? Why do you think he feels this, the way that he does? This baggage doesn't disappear. It doesn't get punished out of you. You know, it can get loved out of you to some extent, but there's, when there's no repair... That, that's carried, and I think the judges don't understand what goes on. I mean, lots of people take care of and die. You know, my clients, had, I've had five or six clients in total this year alone die of substance abuse. And three of them I've known for 20 years. Three of the girls who died had been raped when they were young. The boys, I don't know, I don't know, but, it, you know, it's just, yeah, the, it's horrific. It is, it is the tribe. The tribe, this is what Lawyers for Love say, or this is what I've been saying for a long time. I did it in my TEDx talking about lawyers as healers, saying very simply that 
what we're doing is perpetuating a separation. We're saying, yeah, blame someone else for what's going on. You know, blame your parent, blame everything. That's what lawyers are doing and the legal system is doing and we're going to blame you and everything's bad and separate. But effectively, yes, you are. And my primary my primary little rule, we've, we've created these little rules as we've grown up. When our tribe said to us, especially boys, don't, don't cry, be a man, toughen up. Mm-hmm. Right? So what that does is disconnect a young person from his emotion because oh, then he absolutely. says, oh, the tribe won't love me if I... I'm sad or if I show that emotion, so put that away and I, and I reject that emotion in anybody. Of course, then I have anger because I can't express that. And that it's, it's so simple. So the tribe, all the tribe needs to do, like the parents, the, the parents, the teachers, they're the tribe, is simply say, oh, so you feel that way, that's okay, but perhaps a different behaviour would be appropriate. You know, it's just like you are valid. Every emotion you had as a child was valid and that's what I'm teaching lawyers to do is to... The very simply, the conflict is a projection of the of the separation you had as a child. So what they're bringing to you now on a plate is simply something that's within them that's stuck back in time that hasn't emotionally matured yet. And when you can simply show them that and show, you know what happened, young person, at that time, let's talk to that young person and say, the way you responded to your life then was valid. Mm-hmm. They told you it wasn't valid. So they invalidated you, but actually yeah. you are valid. And, and, and as soon as you can connect that with a person, it's just like, oh, my God, all my responses, my ability to respond to life is valid. And so then it just it flows then, the, the resistance, they don't have resistance to life as much. I've done a technique in 10 minutes, and no, you don't have to be a psychologist. It's, it's simple. It's actually science. It's all yeah. science. It's all physics. It's, it's energy and flow. Um, but that's another story. But that's where we take it from, and they're very simple techniques, and it helps the lawyer as well because when I help you, I help me. And it, it's such an interconnection, and we feel good about our jobs then as lawyers because many lawyers now in this uh, are depressed themselves they don't want to be in the profession because it's not satisfactory we can't get now i can't help people and so very simply by being able to connect here hold space it's so validating for the lawyer as well so this is what we're showing and it really has having an impact i think the sad thing that sometimes here is that people say to me but uh, smithy this is not your job now go. Who's, it is. Who, yeah, it is. But who, who, whose job? Whose job do you think it is to care about people that nobody cares about? And like, I yeah. don't understand this. It was all our jobs. It's how can they, job. how can how can someone say that's right? This isn't your job. What yeah. what's it? And again, this is rules. Rules. Someone said you can't do that. Why? Why? We need to ask the question a lot more. Why? Why can't I do that? Why can't I go in and inquire how someone is? I don't have to sit and yet yeah, look when we take affidavit material for our clients, we're hearing their life story. Don't tell me we're not involved with that. We choose to reject it. So it is really, I'm very passionate about all of that. And, and yeah, don't tell me I cannot be involved and do do this differently because I can and I will. Yeah. And that's exactly what you're saying too. It's just yeah. like, who says? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, there was one one graphic moment where uh, a sixteen year old boy got out of custody. We, where I work, we have a a, a building that really stores uh, the police, the court, the prosecutor, social work, housing. It's a, a sort of multi-functioning building. And this boy got out of custody, and I walked him maybe twenty yards to the front desk to speak to housing. And a social worker grabbed me and says, "You know that that's not your job." 
I said, yeah, you're right. I said, you're right. It's not my job. It's your job. But see, while you're not doing your job, I'm going to do it. So either you do it or I'm going to do it because I'm not going to stand back and watch this kid suffering because you're telling me it's not my job. And, yeah. and, 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 and I, don't, I don't try not to shame other professionals in that way, but it just sometimes annoys me that sometimes you've got to shake things up a little bit for people to notice. Um, yeah. you know, uh, and that's, that's what I've been trying to do for about three years. So, yeah. And, and I, I think this is, it's beautiful, absolutely beautiful what you're doing. I, I get so excited about it. And I absolutely say this, especially when it comes to psychology and law, we know that they're actually, they don't, there's psychologists and lawyers. And for some reason, even in the law schools, they will not meld. And I do not understand why. Why are, are we all holding on tightly to our knowledge and separation? It's a little bit of power, people. Just stop it. Stop it. Yes, Let's yeah, keep, start working yeah. together. We yeah. need, this is humans, we're all humans. Let's, yeah. if, if COVID's not taught us anything, it's about connection. Let's get back and connect and work together on a, on a playing field that's level, no more hierarchies, just let's do this. We've all got a different skill set to bring to the table. Yeah. Uh, let's and, and, you ha and you have to help people holistically staying in your silos and saying, well, that's not my job or it's not your no. job. <laughs> it's just bonkers. Yeah. We just you need a holistic approach to help people and it's, and it's not easy. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's exhausting yeah, work, it. but, but it, it's definitely worth it's definitely worth pursuing. Oh, I love it. I just love it. I love it. I love talking to people like you. So thank you so much, Ian. Um, I will. I, we could talk for hours. I just know this. Um, but I so appreciate you being on the program today. Um, everyone, you can connect with Ian Smith and learn more about him. His email is below if you want to connect in. They've got some great ideas. Or if you want to learn more about what he's doing because he's doing amazing things globally. And now if you're a lawyer who brings love into law in your own unique way, into practice, then we'd love to hear from you. But otherwise, take good care of you and I'll talk to you all next time. And thank you so much again, Ian. We'll talk Thanks soon, so no much. doubt. Thanks, Virginia. Okay, and best of luck, luck to all your listeners. Thank you. Bye.